this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, Pack Your Knives listeners, this is Tom here. We've got some great news. We have Pack Your Knives merch. That's right. Go to bit.ly slash PYK merch to get a sweet, comfy, delicious looking t-shirt from our friends at Cotton Bureau. That's bit.ly slash PYK merch, all lowercase. And for those who may be, I don't know, shivering in a tent somewhere outside of Denver, we've got Pack Your Knives hoodies too. So go to bit.ly slash PYK merch and rep the show. Thanks for listening and supporting Pack Your Knives. Now let's get on with the program. It's Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnabas. And I'm Tom Haberstroh. Tom, the season is off the rails. I just want to go over everything that has happened in the last, like, episode and a half, two episodes. There is no more Joe Flynn. There is no more Chef Fati. Joe Sasto has cooked six shitty dishes in a row. I have nobody left on my fantasy team in the actual competition. And by the way, Chef Carey is like the LeBron James of Top Chef. These are just some of the many things that are happening in this, I think, one of the weirdest seasons in recent memory. And not only that, Kevin, your Wi-Fi at the hotel you're at has cut out. And so you are working, you know, just like just like Carrie did with the with the oven in the snow in Denver. You are trying to Oh, I'm oh and I'm actually I'm underneath like P Street in Washington, DC right now in, in a manhole tunnel. That's where I am <laughs> at right now. I'm like her. I'm like cooking I'm making omelets right now in the dark under the red line in 
the Washington Metro. That's where I'm at. Kevin, you have no contestants left. Zero. Um, I have I, zero contestants. I looked this up, Kevin. You are on a seven-game losing streak here. Seven times in a row one of your contestants is gone. So let me just run through this real quick. My it, season has approximated the Memphis Grizzlies season, yes. <laughs> yes. You've had seven straight eliminations. Fatima, Joe Flam, Claudette, who you traded for and then got ousted. Tanya, brother, Leanne, who left the show and two starting with Tyler you have gone on a seven game losing streak what what has gone on with the the chemistry on your team Kevin I don't know we're bringing in the psychometrics people we're bringing in like all kinds of of uh, triage because right now I mean it can, like what happens is there do we have you're the commissioner like what happens when one of the two contestants the two contestants being you and me, doesn't actually have any competitors left in the Top Chef competition. Well, as per our offhand policy, uh, I have not watched this week's Last Chance Kitchen. So right now, as far as we know, Claudette is out. Brother is in. Joseph Flam is in. Fatima is in on Last Chance Kitchen. And they are going to go to the death um, to... Go- to go on to the next round of Last Chance Kitchen. So you have three potential uh, chefs. I don't have any in Last Chance Kitchen. You have three potential ones. Who are you most rooting for at this point between Fatih, Joe, and Brother to continue on and re-enter the competition? I I don't really. Beggars can't be choosers. I mean, obviously, Chef Fatih is my is my sentimental favorite and would love to see her back in the competition. But I'm a big, you know, I like all those folks. Um, I want to talk about Carrie for a second. Uh, and not to, well, actually, to, to somehow also distract you from the fact that I can't talk about my fantasy team anymore. I do want to talk <laughs> about Carrie, uh, who, by the way, was drafted after, like, Kwame. Like, like was drafted so low in the draft, the expectations for her success so meager, that she was chosen behind people who were literally in the loser's bracket at the moment of the draft. I'm trying to think, is this like the Phoenix Suns when Jeff Hornacek was the coach, when everyone thought they were going to tank with the 76ers a couple years ago and they ended up with 51 wins and just missed the playoffs? Is that what is that what Carrie is? Is that the right comp here in the NBA? I'm, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what she is. I mean, maybe the 61 Atlanta Hawks? I mean, I don't know. Um, because one, one of the interesting things about her as a chef is she has been – perceived to be so unambitious at times last week a kale salad this week for the elimination quick fire by the way i am that is rough elimination quick fire uh. she comes in with a toast a toast she's gonna throw some arugula and goat cheese and maybe okay we're gonna steep some lavender and oil and throw some honey in and that's gonna basically stave off elimination are you kidding me and yet she does this every week she defines the limits of her project yet she achieves within her own constraints she knows who she is as a chef she wins with balance she wins with aroma she's not going to overthink it uh everybody gives her shade but she also knows just what enough quirk to throw in there right like the raisined beet last week Mm -hmm. uh in the kale salad I won't say it, it, I wouldn't call that an elevation, but it was a. It, it, there's enough of a novelty factor that she escapes the wrap of oh a toast, oh a kale salad. She's one of the most interesting chef testants to come through this show in the last several seasons. Meanwhile, is she the favorite at this point? I mean, right now in our scoring system, Kevin, she has 72 points. No one else has more than 45. The second place 
person in our fantasy scoring system is Joe Stash at 43 points. And Carrie almost doubles that. This week she got 25 points for winning not just the quick fire, but also being on the winning team in the in the elimination challenge with also a pretty standard dish. Like it's not very inventive to do green chili poutine. No, I mean, I, well, we'll talk a little bit more about the Super Bowl challenge and, and sort of I think everybody thinking they had to dumb down everything and go with this tailgate food and then the process essentially creating a bunch of bad dishes and uh, no great ones. But, but you know, Carrie's interesting. She's got she finished low the first week. Since then, she's got two wins, including this week. She has two high finishes. She's won the last two quick fires. Um, Juggernaut. So, Juggernaut, I mean, Bruce is obviously still still playing well. I know he technically finished low this week, um, but he cooked a pretty good, uh, I think, skirt steak in the Super Bowl competition. But, I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, Joe Sasto, we're talking like, I, I mean, I pretty much had him penciled in as the most creative chef on the show and the and the guy to beat down below. He had, He's cooked six crappy dishes in a row, starting with the three he did as the line cook or as the non-executive chef in Restaurant Wars. Comes out, does a terrible squash blossom does buffalo cauliflower that any other week would have him off the show yep. and then comes in with the fried mac and cheese which isn't good contributes to otherwise unsuccessful dishes uh that, that belong to adrian i mean th- there's just um there, there he's there's hit a rut. It, it, he's hit a rut he's hit a rut he's kind of he, he, he's hit a rut so um it's just such a strange season uh how, let's let's going back to our recap um First of all, interesting. I wasn't expecting the quick fire uh, single elimination. I guess to get down, you need even number to do the competition, so they got to eliminate two. I guess is that is that the rationale yeah, here? I, I'm guessing so. And I felt so bad because Joe Flam, um, right off the bat, says how he's feeling good. He's got the momentum coming into this, and then man, Kevin, if we've learned anything in sports, is that momentum isn't real. I mean, I remember I did a big story uh, for the ESPN, the magazine about baseball playoffs and the hottest teams actually uh, underperformed compared to the coldest teams going into MLB playoffs. You would think the opposite, but um, in the NBA too, the last 10 games of the season correlates less with how well you do in the postseason compared to the first 10 games, which are like six months earlier. Like there is no momentum as, or at nearly as much momentum as people think. It's just kind of a, a tidy narrative that we do in our brains. But Joe Flam just was coming off his first victory on the show, and then he's out. I feel like that's happened a couple times this season where Tyler felt like he didn't immediately get eliminated after his uh, first elimination challenge. But it's pretty remarkable when you look at it um, that Joe Flam, I think that's why Fatsy was brought to tears just all of a sudden is because it was all of a sudden. You know, the, the quick fire elimination challenge, but God bless him for doing the risotto. Well, all right. So, a couple of things. Let, let, let's let's get into the anatomy of his loss. And the first was to get on the chopping block. He does he doesn't roast the radishes sufficiently, right? They, they just don't get enough time in the oven. Yeah. Um, and it leaves them either whether it's a little stiff or they're not sufficiently caramelized, as he suggested. And it was swimming in that sauce, and you could see that sauce. That was some midwestern sauce, man. That was <laughs> that was not a dish I would recognize from California. There was a lot of white goop on that. Late. and it, it was noted so then he gets thrown to the elimination kind of sudden death with joe and chris also for overdressing his tart uh his uh crudo is in the so so we literally are looking 10 minutes into an episode 
we're contemplating losing either Joe Flam, Joe Sasto, or Chef Chris, which is just in and of itself remarkable. Um, yeah. Chris kind of escapes, and then he, the two Joes proceed to cook absolute terrible. And, of course, Joe Flam falls victim to one of the oldest curses in Top Chef, the great risotto curse. Risotto is a Top Chef killer. One can remember John Tessar. Remember the, the chef from Dallas and, mm-hmm. and Top Chef's him. He goes home for risotto. Um, Top Chef Stats, uh, uh, whose uh, creator is going to be on the show very shortly in the next few minutes, counts five eliminations by risotto. You might even remain a non-elimination bad risotto. Jeremy in season 13 Restaurant Wars cooked, quote, the worst risotto in Top Chef history, I think according to Tom Colicchio. But he didn't go home because the problems in the front of the house were more epic. Um, the only good risotto I can remember on Top Chef is a Mars Uni risotto in the season 13 finale. Uh, though he did not win season 13, uh, a Mars risotto, I think, won that round, if I remember correctly. It was an, and I'm, I do remember because sea urchin risotto, to me, is kind of the perfect food. Um, mm, yes. But, but so how terrible is it that Joe Flam falls victim? And it's not even a real risotto. It's a cauliflower risotto. Uh, so he didn't even get the pleasure of trying and failing at the actual dish. He has to go with that cauliflower ersatz risotto, but becomes, I believe, the sixth chef to be lost to a risotto. I mean, and it was Kinch, the the guest judge's like signature dish, right? You're like going against Allen Iverson and trying to cross him over. You know that, that that's not how you do things, especially with the 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 curse. Of the risotto, you don't bring in a, a, a cauliflower risotto on Top Chef in general, but certainly not as bringing it with the with the judge, who's that's his signature dish. See, I got to tell you, if I'm in that cauliflower substitution, here I am playing armchair quarterback. These these chefs are unbelievably brilliant. I'm sitting here. I came into doing this. I just got to feel like I just got to execute a good cauliflower couscous. I know it's easy. Mm-hmm. I know it's facile. But just make it taste good. You're not going to go home. It, it, it's to me like because I did that. I did that cauliflower. I, I shaved it with a uh, with a microplane, or just actually no. I take that back with a regular grater a few weeks ago, and it is actually so so easy. So you go with the other components. You let the you know you take a small hit for the cauliflower. Oh, cauliflower couscous. That's so easy. Yeah, okay, it is easy. And but I'm not going to serve dog food. Is is the upside there? And and I mean, that's just, I mean, I'm playing Monday morning quarterback, but that, that would be my thing. Meanwhile, a couple other fun little notes I have from the, uh, from the quick fire. Bruce goes, to, tries to start, he's going to start doing a cavatelli and, and Padma comes in with the basically might as well have been the equivalent. Is this top chef or top pasta? Because all Bruce has been doing for the better part of a fucking month, man, is pasta. You know why? Because he's one of the best pasta makers I've ever, ever witnessed. I mean, you and I have, have been treated to his pasta. Yes. Uh, and, uh, it was so funny it, when when Padma was like, "Really, another pasta?" And he goes, "Yeah, I was thinking about doing another pasta, but I decided to go with pasta." And it's still pasta, she said. Yeah, she's like, "Yeah, that's pasta." And he's like, "You're right, you're right, touche." <laughs> so it's just very funny. So there's a little bit of that. It was just a very tumultuous first thirty minutes. I mean, just I, I mean, no one cooked all that well. So there were only two. Chefs on the top of the uh, on the top of the original uh, floral arrangement. What did uh, you think legend. about the floral um, quick fire? Edible flowers are interesting. I mean, I there's a there's a chef or not a chef. There's a farmer at the farmers market at, at Hollywood Farmers Market on Sundays where I go every week, 
that sells these lovely things. I mean, I, I, I'm it's far above my pay grade in terms of working with using the aroma. I mean, I do love. I've enjoyed. I've always been somebody who's enjoyed a dessert with like hibiscus yeah. or lavender. Like I do like that sort of aromatic dessert. Um, but I mean, I think it's a really interesting challenge, and it it, it provided both a, a, a sand trap, so to speak. I mean, you you have to work with this stuff. You have to figure out well. Do I need to not just work with it, but actually incorporate the aroma? Am I going to penalize for not doing it? Can I just use it for presentation? I mean, I mean, I like the challenge. It, it, it clearly snuck up on them. But, yeah. I mean, that quick fire eliminate, I just think it is rough to eliminate somebody I know. Um, in a quick fire. And I know they got to get the numbers down and do a even number competition. But, man, I mean, to watch Joe Flam just absolutely get... I mean, as he said, to pull the rug. I mean, the guy won. We're talking to. I mean, we're, we're listening to our friend Hershey Hash basically saying, if there's one person I would from this cast I would I would hire tomorrow, it would be Joe Flynn. Look at him at the top of the uh, at the front of the house. Look at him, you know, essentially play error-free ball as I've been saying all season. And he comes up with two massive errors in about a, in about a. In about seven minutes of TV time. There's no such thing as momentum. It, someone on, on Twitter hit us up and said, man, your guests, it's like getting the KOD. And in Miami growing, you know, going, living in Miami for six years, KOD means something entirely different than what this person was mentioning. K- KOD in Miami is the king of diamonds. And that's that's a strip club that I think Lil Wayne um, frequents quite a bit. But it is not, our guests, it's, Bringing on people from Top Chef is not the king of diamonds. It is the kiss of death. Because because Hershey Hershey said on the on the show that he was going to be his his pick to be the chef of his restaurant if he could pick anybody. And then the other person that we had on that show last week was Fatima. So I think a little bit of this. And Daryl Morey says this about the Ringer curse. There is something on the internet right now in the NBA called the Ringer curse, which is in other words the plexiglass principle by Bill James which is there is no sophomore slump for rookie of the years. It's just a regression to the mean. So people are going to overachieve and then be on the cover of the Madden uh, game or the cover of Sports Illustrated. There is no such thing as a curse. It's just we're inevitably going to fall back down to earth after having you know been on the ringer. They, they profile you on, on ESPN because simply you're probably overachieving and you're doing way better than expected and therefore you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So I think that's what's going on here is maybe it's not a I'm, – I'm defending ourselves here, Kevin, and maybe not uh, very convincingly – but I feel like Fatima was brought on the show in part because she's awesome and she's the fan favorite, but also because she was doing pretty well. She was doing great on the show. Yeah, I mean, I don't know with this particular – I don't know that Joe overachieved last week. I don't think he regressed to the mean. I think this might be an outlier performance. I mean, I think the yes, difference is true. here a, a sophomore season is exactly a season. I mean, this was two at-bats. I mean, this is <sighs> this is essentially one game. Do we think that the elimination quickfire spooked them insofar as I felt like the final event, the Super Bowl, let's cook for the uh, football heroes and, and, and some of their fans, they went very conservative? Um, or, or, I mean, because I, I felt like it was a really disappointing, I, I think what we learned from Tom Colicchio is, is there was not a lot of good food this week. There was just not a lot of good food on that show this week. And I'm just trying to kind of get to the root of what happened. And, and I wonder if there's something about did they get spooked by the quick fire, which led to very bad conservative decision making 
in, in the main challenge. So Carrie won the quick fire, as we mentioned, and then she gets to choose. There are going to be three teams of two for the for the for the general challenge. She gets to pick, and she picks Chris. Were you surprised? Tom well, Pavistro? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in our friend here, friend of the program. This is a surprise, but I actually accidentally added her to the conversation, and here she is. <laughs> Lynn, accidentally added her to the conversation. I was I was searching for your name, Lynn, to add her to this conversation, and sure enough, here she is. So why <laughs> not just bring you in right as we're a- analyzing the elimination challenge from last night? Uh, Lynn from TopChefStats.com, the greatest site on this green earth. <laughs> oh my Welcome god! Welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you. I'm so excited. Lynn, I love your website. Hey, by the way, I've already. I have already alluded to it once this episode. Thanks to you, I knew exactly that five contestants have been eliminated to risotto. Um, yes. Now that is not that, now. Have you up? Oh, six. See, six you now. Updated the site. Yep. You, no way. On the wings of doves, you update this site. <laughs> Look at this. Um, uh, eliminated for risotto. Six. Oh yeah. my goodness. And um, technically, if you so, I don't count this as part of Top Chef, um, but the the qualifying rounds. For Top Chef Texas, Chaz actually got eliminated for risotto too. But oh. since it wasn't the like main part of the show, I didn't count it. But so yeah, six total. Can, can I ask you a question, Lynn? Yeah. And, and, and not to treat you like a freak or anything. Did you have <laughs> that? At, did you have that at instant recall? Is it like the way that Tom and I just because we cover the like we can actually we know specific things that happened in Game Four of the NBA Finals in 2014? Um. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty good. I think I can allude to most episodes i can i know most people's names still um there is a lot that i would need to look up but i'm pretty good at recalling everything okay so lynn um can you tell us a little bit and our listeners just how this little passion project became a website and was this something you've been tracking all along by hand at home and then you're like you know what i'm gonna make a beautiful uh website with infographics and it, like, is this is this what you do for a living? Because this seems way too good to just be like, oh, this is a hobby. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do web design and development for my job, and okay, I like that to makes do me feel better. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, so I like to do these little side projects just for fun, and um, you know, I've been watching Top Chef just you know since it came on for what like twelve years now, and I love it. And my husband is actually like super into sports and can like you guys like name off all the stats and like this specific game 35 years ago, you know? And like, I thought, you know, the only thing that I have like that is top chef. Um, and so it's just, it lends itself well to infographics and things like that. So I thought, Hey, it'd be really neat to kind of track the patterns that, you know, happen. Like they, they started quoting them in this, in the show, like, Oh, you know, if you win the first elimination challenge, you like your chances are higher winning the show and things like that. So P Tyler. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. Uh, but yeah, so I went back through all of the episodes essentially and started this huge spreadsheet of just like keeping track of all of these different stats and compiling and kind of analyzing things. And then I made the site. Uh, are you a big food person as well? I, you know, it's funny. I'm, I mean, I like food, but I'm not a cook. I don't, I like eating, but I'm kind of one of those people that like I could eat like cheap food or like really fancy gourmet food and I don't really have any prep. Impressions. Um, gotcha. But I, I just, for some reason, I'm just like, you know, I'm in love with this show and I like love the format and it has inspired me to like 
go try different types of food and um, to try cooking. And I'm actually pretty good with like food trivia now, you know, learning all the ingredients and stuff like that. So I have a question for you. Um, this yeah. is kind of, I'm, I'm testing your knowledge right now because <laughs> I just looked this up on my own spreadsheet and I'm curious, Adrian right now has not won a single elimination challenge through nine episodes. Who was the last person to do that on top chef to go through nine episodes, nine challenges and not have a single victory? Oh man, the last one. Good. All right. The fact that you haven't, um, this isn't a total like easy answer for you <laughs> makes me feel better again. Okay. But do you, can you recall someone like Adrian to just kind of hang out through right. in the middle throughout the entire season? Um, so one jumps out at me, but it was a while ago, but, uh, Kevin Spraga from DC, I think he went a long and he eventually won, but he went a long time without, um, winning yeah, or at yeah. least he didn't win very many, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. So I guess, um, here's, here's the answer, at least in my tracking. Um, the last person to do this was Sheldon in last season was high in high, uh-huh. high, 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 low, high, high. And then he won next week's episode. Um, Sheldon right, did it totally last right. week, last season. Amar, Kevin, you mentioned Amar recently. Right. Amar in season 13 won the 10th elimination challenge. So next week's elimination challenge with your uni, was it the uni risotto, you think? Uh, I think uni risotto was, was in the finale. It was one of his four courses. Is that right? So I don't think he, I don't, I don't think he won with the risotto i think he just he mm-hmm. won a rat like he won like the round like the second course yeah you know how like in, when mm-hmm, they do the right. finals they do like it's it's kind of there's an unofficial who won the appetizer who won the pasta course or who won the second course that, that that was that kind of thing i don't think he won a round a full round for it yeah well i mean lynn this this was kind of shocking to see joe flam go from winning to out um with a sudden death quick fire is that a common mm-hmm. thing in top chef to win and then be out in a su- is that a first do you think uh no that has definitely happened before i don't have that stat in in there but i should add it um but yeah it's kind of the thing they've talked about before where like it's just episode to episode and it's not really kind of cumulative and so yeah there definitely have been instances where people are they win and then the next day they lose so were you just like shaking when he said i'm gonna do a risotto <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's always risky. I, you know, uh, I think it's funny because there are a lot of other things that people get eliminated for, like that, um, like more frequently. But risotto, I think all the judges are just very opinionated about it too, and so it just it's always a big deal when someone does risotto. And I think it, there's just it's an easy dish to mess up, probably. Yeah, when he when he had when he was like, yeah, I'm gonna do cauliflower risotto, I was just like, oh. Like, Joe, don't do it. Don't do I it. Know. But then I was looking at Chris and, and Joe Stash and being like, man, they can't get eliminated either. Hey, listener. It's your favorite Butcher Turn podcast producer, May, is here to talk to you about Butcher Box. A not-so-wise man once said, it's not that hard. Just chop, chop. Who knew that he was talking about pork chops from Butcher Box? It's not that hard. It's easy to get high quality meat and seafood you can trust delivered right to your doorstep. Free shipping, always a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. You get exactly what you need. Premium ingredients for your meals to feed your family. I know how it is. You go to the grocery store. You're stressed. You got a lot of food to get. And then you got to wait in line at the butcher counter. Maybe your butcher is a tall man with an attitude. I don't know. I've never experienced that, but maybe it happened to you. 
That's why I love Butcher Box. You've always got meat in the freezer or in the fridge. You're ready to cook at any time, and you're not going to find such high quality at such low prices anywhere else. So sign up for ButcherBox today by going to butcherbox.com slash dings, D-I-N-G-S, and use code dings at checkout to enjoy your choice of bone-in chicken thighs, top sirloins, or salmon in every box for an entire year, plus $20 off. Again, that is butcherbox.com slash dings, and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S. Chop, chop. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Like that's gonna be really sad. So, yeah, this last episode, I was pretty bummed about both the eliminations. So, <laughs> so we're, we're getting into, and you can join us here, we're getting into the elimination challenge. Uh, they do the tailgate with the football players coming back and uh, with 300 people. Uh, Kevin's theory is that they were kind of thrown off by the sudden, fi- uh, sudden death quick fire and just kind of thrown off their game. Were you surprised at how poorly they did on their dishes? Um, you know, I was because I think, um, those types of events are usually fun. And so people tend to just bring a little bit more enthusiasm to what they're doing. So yeah, I think the Sun Death Fire um, put them in a weird funky mood. Um, but there also tends to be like a dip in the season at some point, you know, and I think that maybe we're just there. Yeah, I mean, there's sort of a fatigue factor, um, mm-hmm. kind of the grind of the season. I mean, I mentioned that Joe Sastos cooked six crappy dishes in a row, <laughs> which is pretty extraordinary. Um, I also think there's sort of this this populism thing where they get kind of caught up with, oh, it's a bunch of football players and fans, <laughs> and and because I mean, look, these are people who have, by and large, you know, do very high level cooking, right? I mean, look, I mean, look at Adrian, look at what Joe Sasto's doing on a weekly basis. Look at Fatima, uh, Fatima wants to do with with just Franklin profiles and, and, and cook South Asian food in, in this in, in setting. And then I think everybody gets to the Super Bowl tailgate and it's like, ah, we got to do chili or ribs <laughs> or, and, and well, we need to make sure it's dumb enough for these fans. And I don't criticize. It. I mean, I think there is a proper instinct, um, whether it's Fatima to do nachos or, 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 or whoever to kind of do that brand of food when I kind of just wonder, I thought, I thought kind of Bruce had it correct, which is, okay, to the extent that we need to have a certain type of accessibility to the food because it's a Super Bowl party, it's meat. Okay, but at least I can just do meat, and I'll, and, yeah, I'll do a little pickled beets or some sauce or whatever. But I, I think, like, the nachos to me, obviously I'm heartbroken about Fatima because, A, it's my last contestant. B, I'm just a huge fan. Uh, I still feel like we haven't seen her do like just absolutely transcendent cooking that she's capable of. Um, she does solid cooking on a weekend, week out basis. But I think nachos are just impossible for 300 people. I mean, when I saw her put those blue chips in a grocery cart, the, 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 the blue chips that you buy at Whole Foods or wherever your grocery store is. I mean, just the sheer fact that you're creating a dish that's going to rely on pre-packaged chips tells you everything you need to know, which is don't do it. 
don't do it. I don't care if you're putting lentils on <laughs> or the zacchiote sauce or, or you marinade with the chicken or, or the peach habanero salsa or everything else. Like, like you're relying on food that you didn't make. Um, and now so you're just putting stuff on chips. Yeah, Lynn, that's got to be pretty high on the list of don'ts on Top Chef is to have a pre-made ingredient, like a pre-made, pre-cooked ingredient that you buy at Whole Foods on your dish, right? Yeah, totally. Like I'm thinking just off the top of my head, like Kwame did those frozen waffles. Mm -hmm. Um, Although Sheldon did frozen waffles once and fared okay. Um, And I'm actually thinking about uh, Dale from uh, Miami, the um, Elk Slodge Challenge where he bought um, like powdered potatoes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, oh, but I actually like that. he was on the top that week and so um i think it depends i think so maybe in general yeah. Would you say that's a myth in the myth category that if you bring in some store-bought uh, ingredients that it's actually not gonna be hurting you um i think it is i think you're just setting yourself to, up to be criticized yeah. by tom i think he just doesn't like that and so you really do have to like use that ingredient like creatively or it has to just not hinder the dish at all and so, yeah, I think it's a risk, and um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to I reiterate. It's not even so much that, oh, those chips aren't good. I'm sure those chips are delicious. I mean, I, I love I, – I'll eat Pringles every day if you, if you <laughs> let me. Um, it's not about pre- – I, I think it's more just that, okay, you're one of the you know, few thousand best chefs in America by virtue of being on this show. And so there's added value to being an exceptional chef. The minute – you can do something. In other words, if I go up against Fati, or for that matter, I go up against Chris when he had immunity and he used prepackaged rolls, and if we both put that in our grocery cart, that person has no advantage over me, right? Yeah. Like, like, so I, it's just a matter of you're not, you're not essentially, you're not access, accessing your talents when you come in with that thing. But I don't know. I just felt like, like, first of all, were you guys surprised that Kerry picked Chris? I wasn't only in so far as I feel like the Super Bowl challenge was sort of his wheelhouse. Yeah, Chris is yeah, I think that was a big thing and and I actually I don't know about the editing choices there where I think they were the only couple in the confessionals. Is that am I wrong? No, the others were too. I remember Fatima were and Bruce were bantering about Taylor Swift. Do you remember that part? Oh going to see Taylor Swift at the stadium. <laughs> Yeah, so that was my bad. I, I I thought that they were showing us uh, the winners there. That there was a little bit of a slip by them, but I'm I'm wrong. Um, I guess Lynn, you're you're great. Uh, Lynn is the best. I I did, I did. I didn't think that Chris was the knockout choice. The thing about Carrie though is her aw shucks attitude. There isn't. She doesn't really show her hand very much. She's very unpredictable. So I don't I don't know who her logical choice would be as her partner. But Chris is definitely someone who is a. Uh, been a high performer on the show and B is such a football nut and an outwardly football nut. I thought that was a smart choice by Carrie. Yeah. I think Carrie has shown in the last two episodes that she's good at picking who to be on her team. Um, I was actually worried because um, this is a stat that's not on the site, but um, if you are the first to pick your team in restaurant wars, you're way more likely to lose <laughs> restaurant wars. Oh my and, really? Whoa, yeah. Can we so, get into that? Oh yeah. yeah so, Okay, so um, there are 11 restaurant wars where teams were picked, like dodgeball style, right? Um, two of them were, the other ones, two were a knife block, one was um, men versus women, and then one, there was no winner of uh, restaurant wars, which was season two. Um, but of the ones where you picked your team, um, eight out of 11 
um, if you picked your team first, you lost. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Your teams that are first picks are three and eight in Restaurant Wars. So okay. that's really interesting. Yeah. So um, first to choose is has been a disadvantage for most teams. What do you think that is? You think that's a, a judge's, like, um, a bias of the judges being, like, harsher to those teams? Or do you think there is a certain... Yeah, it can't be that. It, like, what do you think is behind that, Kevin? I don't. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. Is it? Is it you, 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 you? The heart wants what the heart wants, but actually, there's a more. You know, you, you want to. You know what it might be? It might be the LeBron or, or thing, like season one of the Heat. Like, you want to play with your friends? No, actually, you shouldn't be playing with your friends. Mm-hmm. You should be playing with people who about you whom you're just passionate. Yeah, yeah or, or push you, or, or compliment you, who aren't your bu- your, your, you know, your, your buddies, but. Actually, just a, a you know, like I always say, like Adrian, I think is a really good restaurant or partner, and um, you know, not somebody anybody would have thought to pick. But maybe that's it. It's just like you, you think you want to work with your friends, actually, you don't want to work with your friends. Yeah, I think that a big part of it is the people that do the picking that have won have picked people for specific roles, it like already. So Carrie was like, oh, Bruce can be back of house, and Joe Flam can be front of house. So she knew who would be good in those roles, and the other two where that instance happened was um, Melissa in Boston. And so she picked yeah. Doug to be executive chef and she picked um, uh, Adam to be front of house. And then the other one was Stephanie in um, Chicago. And her time, she actually got to pick her entire team like from the get-go. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she lost? No, she won. She won. Oh, she won. Those were the three. Those are the ones that have won. Yep. And maybe that's it, is you got to think of, you know, when everything's front of house, which is just such a specific skill set um, that either you, you know, that you either do or don't, but that, that, that comes naturally or doesn't come naturally. Um, what is the, what's your favorite stat on your, on your, whether it's on your site or one you have, and what is your absolute favorite? Um, so this one isn't as much a stat and more just like a fun kind of thing that fans can uh, laugh about, but there's a section on the site that is, um, this is top chef, not, and then a, a blank, and then it breaks down per oh, season, like what people have said. Lynn, and so I like, I have a text message from Kevin last night texting me. This is not, this is top chef, not top pasta. <laughs> it, it was sort of my interpretation of Bruce. Um, yes, totally. Because- and someone should say that not top polenta or something like that. Yes. Um, yeah. I uh, no. I, I love your site. By the way, for the folks who are listening, who are like, call out the site. The site. The site is topchefstats.com. Topchefstats.com. Um, so let's read through them. Uh, this is top chef, not top sous chef. Top sommelier. Top captain. Top waiter. Top cook. Top line cook. Top pussy. Top scallops. Wait, what the hell was? This is not top chef, not top pussy. So Fabio said that actually. I think it was kind of like an outtake, but they showed it. <laughs> in reference what, to uh, who, like into, Stefan? Uh, what? You know, I don't remember that though. But I remember it was Fabio. Uh, this is Top Chef, not a butt rubbing contest, a wet T-shirt contest, fun and games, and hot air balloons, culinary boot camp vacation, <laughs> a housewives <laughs> cooking competition, a popularity contest, a personality contest, and shockingly, none of these have been repeats, right? Uh, there are, I mean, yeah, so these are just the seasons where they were originally said, but like, I think um, this is not top uh, sous chef has come up, especially a few times in the like earlier seasons um, when they were really looking for like 
people to step up as leaders. Yep. And popularity talk. contest is probably up there too. Yeah. Uh, just because so much of what Tom and I do is that sort of fine, like we, we delve through stats to really acknowledge who are the masters of, of the sport. Um, Paul Key's reign during his season, I mean, just from, as somebody who has looked at these stats as carefully as you have, I mean, that's got just to be really impressive. I mean, we, we're talking about, I mean, relative to the other dozens and dozens of contestants, I mean, is it safe to say that was the most artful and dominant performance in the history of Top Chef? Yeah, for sure. He has the most elimination wins overall and the most overall wins, like quick fires and elimination challenges. Is that one season? He's only been on one season, right? One season, yeah. And I Nine count I count them by season. So if you've been on multiple seasons, your like most wins is like per season. Nine. Who? What's the second most elimination wins? Um, let me see. So elimination. Um. <laughs> so uh, Brooke. Oh yeah. Combined. Brooke? Oh, actually, it's no per season. So Brooke Gregory from Bo- uh, from Boston. Kevin Gillespie, actually, there's a bunch, so it's five. So uh, Kevin from Las Vegas, Kristen from um, Seattle, Richard Blaze from the All-Star season, and then Stephanie from Chicago. And those people had how many? Five elimination wins. So literally, Paul had nine. The next most ever in a season was five. Five, yeah. I mean, come on. Paul had nine. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, that's just... That's, I mean, that's, just, that's, that's sick. Anyway. Um, so what is your feeling on this season? Can you give us a handicap on who you think has shown the most, uh, the best chance of winning Top Chef? And are there certain traits that you look for after studying this, this entire series that certain contestants are exhibiting this season? Sure. So I think Carrie is... Um, really high in my mind she very early figured out how she needed to cook to do well um and she's and now she's winning you know repeat challenges and so i think she's doing really well same with bruce i think he struggled a little bit and now he's kind of like okay i need to be true to myself but i think he also now needs to learn that he needs to stretch um they want to see creativity i think i think one thing i'm curious about is bruce he was in the in the team play. He was in the bottom three this week, or bottom uh, three this week. When you're scoring these at home, are you frustrated by the guys who do really well, like cook that really nice sirloin steak, but get thrown in the bottom because of team play? Yeah, I think it can be frustrating in some scenarios, but in most cases, I don't feel that frustrated um, because uh, you know being a chef, as they say on the show, is a big part about working with others and leadership and. Um, you know, having vision and a part of a team challenge is uh, working with someone else and creating something together. And I think that's what happened with Bruce this time is that he, they made two dishes. And um, when the judges are looking for kind of cohesion or um, a collaboration and they don't get that, I think that reflects on the chef in a real world way. Right. Though they'll never really generally pay for it. Um, Like, like a perfect example, I mean, Adrian has been able to really. Adrian to me is an interesting contestant this season because she's so excellent technically, mm-hmm. and it saves her time and again. If you can cook protein, 
and in her case, she's figured out the seasoning issue. Like yeah. she wasn't going to go home last night, and it was in yeah, she wasn't on the winning team, but they pretty much reasoned that look, she got the. I, I think it's the guest judge say, you know, the tenderness was there on the meat, and, and by and large, she cooks meat brilliantly. It's two weeks in a row where she's probably been the best, you know, execution chef when it comes to nailing the protein. She did the duck last week in Restaurant Wars, nailed it, and she. Look, she didn't wow anybody with her ribs, but she's not going to go home for an exquisitely cooked rib, at least not yet. I mean, it will. I mean, ultimately, when Adrian goes home, and she will go home, I don't think she's going to win the competition. It will be because uh, she. It was. It was. Uh, the meat was well done. I'm sorry. The meat was was well cooked and lovely, but uh, it just lacked a little flair. And that's ultimately. But it's, it's interesting because I do. Yeah. Lacks, but I think she's even figured that out. I mean, clearly, we haven't heard about that in weeks, right? Like, no one has even said anything about bland food recently. I mean, she she had this, this moment where she was humiliated, called for it. And clearly, ever since then, there's been no issue with seasoning. Uh, to the extent that she hasn't, you know, won, it's because, you know, maybe... Maybe that, that needed to be directly on the grill or on the smoke rather than cooking in the liquid as she did last night. Um, which, and she's a very conservative chef. I mean, that's the other thing with Adrian. She's a, she, and that was that's a very conservative instinct, right? Which is first do no harm. Yep. And she's very much a the Hippocratic chef oath is Adrian. First do no harm. Like like make sure the protein is done correctly. And it, it might whether it lacks seasoning or I don't get the full vivaciousness of it because it wasn't directly on the flame, which it wasn't. But uh, but yeah, to, to your to your point is that the I, I do think selfishness does help in this game sometimes. Which is, hey, if you see your partner going down a very worrisome path, and Bruce clearly saw the nachos as being problematic, he kind of retreated into his stake. He wasn't going to win, but he probably is not going to go home if he can nail the skirt stake, and he didn't. Uh, and it's. Uh, yeah, I, last night's elimination, I was actually frankly surprised to see Fatima go home before Joe, given what we heard or saw. Like, I didn't realize the nach- nachos were that bad, but apparently they got really soggy, as nachos do. Yeah, if you're going to do nachos, you really got to nail it. And it seems like she either hasn't cooked nachos or she doesn't really understand the 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 football tailgate, that it, it needs to be a little bit more elevated than that. I don't know. I think I I don't think there were nachos suck. I mean I hate to say it, but nachos are just <laughs> not a good team, dish. I'm Team Calicchio on this one. I love a good nacho. I like I like. No, the, but you love a but you love a good nacho. How do you make good nachos for 300 people? Yeah, I I think Bruce kind of knew that that was going to be really tough. Like the chips get all soggy, and then you don't. Or if if the cheese has got to be that hot. And if it's not hot, it gets that lumpiness, that sort of, mm. that, that, that rubbery, like, it's just, it's just a terrible mass production dish. Terrible mass production dish. Get out of here with that mass production dish. Get, get rid of the nachos. No! Is, is nachos, <laughs> we I have love Foxy. We have Lynn, wanted, the historian here. Are nachos particularly uh, worrisome? It's not, it's, the, it's top chef, not top nacho. <laughs> I'm trying to think of another nacho. I know that in... What, season one, Dave did like a high-end nacho, but I can't think of very many other nachos that have come across. Season one, there wasn't even fire yet. They didn't have like, <laughs> they didn't even have convection <laughs> ovens in season one. Season one, I have you know, was like taped in like 300 BC in a cave. It does feel like pretty old. In Samaria. <laughs> uh, can we talk about Joe Stash and his germaphobe rant about, about basketball? Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> I, as a germaphobe, I'm... I'm Kevin, have you ever heard that take before? I don't play sports so, because right, it's uh, Jeremy. Right, so, 
All right, so I used to have Dodger season tickets, and um, I sat in the second level, so the loge, second of four levels, and uh, Dodger Stadium, especially during the day, is known for beach balls. So some fan will blow up a beach ball and then start bopping it. You know, and, it, and basically the whole thing is, is you just pop it over one section and keep it going as long as you can until an usher comes and takes it away and everybody boos, and it's, it's asinine, but people do, and that's, that's been the case in Dodger Stadium since the... Since I don't know the beginning yeah. of time or whatever it started in Dodger Stadium, I always hated it. Not because, not just because I was a basketball, a baseball purist. I just don't like to be bothered during the game. Like I don't want to just get that thing. But also, I just used to call it an inflated booger, because like, <laughs> what is a beach ball going around a stadium if not like just something that everybody's been like eating food with their hands at the game and then touching it? And there are lots of children, and children are just germ machines and. And I just used to call it the booger because, like, it is. It was. It was gross to me. The beach ball. The number one reason I didn't want to touch that beach ball was what on what could possibly be on that thing. It was just disgusting. So I do kind of get that. But in, in terms of basketball, no, I never thought about a basketball as a, as a. Plus, like, when you're out playing sports, I think you suspend the germophobia because, like, you're in com- like you're in competition. Like, there's there's no germophobia when you're actually playing sports. But, and and for a guy who works in a kitchen and is handsy with food, like, shouldn't you be over the whole germy thing? No, I think actually it's because you work in the kitchen and you're 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 in food, and the, and chefs are actually pretty damn careful. I guess the quote is, "I'm not ashamed to say it. I don't like sports at all. Sports with balls, no, especially basketball. Throw it on the ground and touch it again, like gross." Sports with balls, no. Chefs with balls, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. And and I have never heard of this crystal thing. Lynn, do you know what this crystal thing is? Is this is this a thing? I don't know. I mean, I feel like I've heard of them tangentially, but never that specific, like that people put them like in their pocket or anything like that. Good he's a good boy. He is a very good boyfriend, not to make fun of his um his girlfriend for believing in something asinine and superstitious. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, Lynn, I want to ask you, the season in general, how do you feel about it? Just the arc, the contestants, um, have you have you felt better about the season as it's gone on? Or do you have to like watch the entire season like a movie before you can evaluate it? How do you feel about season 15? I really like season 15. I think this one is a little bit different and that especially – until the last two episodes, like the winners were really spread out. And so there wasn't a clear, you know, dominant person. And so that's fun to kind of see how everyone reacts to that. Um, I like this one. I feel like there's a lot of really fun, memorable people on the show. I think that's what like makes it stand out for me season to season. I think there are some seasons where I think back and I'm like, ah, I couldn't even, I don't know if I can name everybody like just off the top of my head, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really like that. Um, I think it's been fun. I think the challenges haven't been like as like weird as other ones. Um, I like some of those, like the camping one I think is cool. Like putting them in a situation that's just like, like hard and they have to really be creative. I like challenges like that. So I haven't seen as many of those, but I really like this one. What is, what is your favorite challenge? Mine I think is the one where you have to go blindfolded and pick up where the previous contestant left off. I find that one so fun. Yeah, that one is cool. The the tag team cook off. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like those. I I think my favorite is the blind taste testing. I was gonna say that's the one I was gonna say. Yeah, I think that's just so fun, and it, it I think it humbles everybody a lot, you know. And 
um, I think it's just, it's neat to see. It's a different skill. Yeah. It's an amazing, amazing moment when they, when they go through and sometimes they're like, I have no idea what this is. And you're screaming, it's edamame. <laughs> hey, so let me ask you a question, Lenny, only because you've probably thought, uh, kind of more critically about this than anybody. I mean, just given your love for the show and, and clearly your retention of it all. If I were to bring you in as a consultant for season 16 and the, and the producer said, Hey, we're going to oh, we need to shake things up a little bit. I mean, this is a great show, and it's an Emmy Award-winning show, and everybody loves it. And, you know, we want to introduce some new wrinkles. We want to refine the competition. Uh, uh, if there are inefficiencies in the competition, we want to, we want to eliminate them, and, or we want, if there are unfair, if there are biases or unfairnesses or whatever. But we, we, we want to, how can we improve, is the easy way of saying. What, what would you say in terms of the structure? Oh, you know, I think... Um... I don't know. It's nice that it's consistent. And so it kind of makes comparing season to season um, easy. And, you know, a winner went through a lot of the same stuff as other winners. You're such an an empiricist. It's so funny. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think I would like to see maybe switching it up to like bracket style or maybe just like for part of it, or maybe you cumulatively gain points instead of it being you know episode to episode um where the work you do early on or or later you know it's just it, i think that would mix it up a little bit um you know top chef duels which is a spinoff they did it bracket style and that was kind of neat it paired up people um that were similar and people that were really different and um put kind of difficult challenges on them and that was cool to see how each of them would respond um when you're competing directly against someone else you know I mean, it is interesting. We just take it as an article of faith that it's, it's, uh, what have you done for me lately, right? Like, like Joe Flam can literally be on top of the world and he gets absolutely, he doesn't get to bring anything. The only thing that his wins get him is confidence and, and maybe a slight intimidation factor, or maybe there's a biases with the judges knowing that he's a really good chef and we won't kick him off if all things are equal. But, but you're right. Like in, in Tom's system in our fantasy draft or in our fantasy season is, I mean, Tom rewards points over time, right? I mean, that, that's what, that's the system you came up with, Tom. But like, you're right. We, we, it, it's funny. We don't think about that. Like, you can you can win eight weeks in a row, and if you were Joe Flan this week, it didn't matter a damn bit. And right. there are very few competitions, whether it's a, whether it's a it, it's a four day golf tournament or, or or basketball standings or anything else, where you get absolutely you don't get to bring your past success in to you. Uh, the only thing I can think of is, is again a playoffs, right? Where where it doesn't matter if you swept the first three series and you get to the NBA finals, none of that matters or, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I would love a scoring system would be really interesting, just sort of a standings board. Um, I mean, I think the limit, and, and I mean, I guess the way you could do it is, well, it's tough, right? Because it, it, you're not going home for the worst dish. Um, who, who are they sending home? The person this week who happens to have the fewest points at the end of the week, who, by the way, cooked a pretty good meal, and that would be the, the argument against it, I guess. But but I, I like what you're saying, and and I. I uh, I, I'm with you, though. It's funny. As much as I think there could be fun reforms and uh, lend some intrigue to a, a new season, I do love the fact that you know when eight people are left, there's going to be restaurant wars, right? Like, that's one of the great moments of watching a Top Chef season is knowing, oh, we're almost down to eight, or or that, that there are certain, at this point, rites of passage to a season, uh, and, and that kind of connect it to the legacy of the show. Yeah, definitely. I wonder, like... In the NBA, you're rewarded for your regular season performance by having a, a better seed in the in the brackets. I wonder if they could do it like that. Like in the last few episodes, the winner of the most e- elimination challenges gets some sort of an advantage going forward. 
Um, so it kind of reflects the the NBA season that doesn't too much reward the regular season, but also gives you something to accumulate those wins. It gives you something to keep that momentum to momentum going. So it's not so goldfishy where there's no memory um, from episode to episode. But yeah, Carrie, I'm I'm struggling with the idea. Um, like, I wonder if Carrie, if you were to redraft. Would Carrie be the number one pick? I'm. I feel like I would go Bruce or Chris. Interestingly enough, I'm. I don't know. Maybe that's just me not believing in Carrie because she's the hometown favorite, and she's also like, uh, she doesn't seem too competitive about things, and she doesn't seem as as diehard serious about this competition. But maybe that's just me. W- what do you guys think is the most likely? If you're gonna pick a number one draft, who would be the most likely winner, Kevin? Me right now? Yeah, because you might have to redraft. We don't know what we're going to do here. I mean, you have no more chefs left. I, I mean, look, so I, I'm of two minds, which is recency bias and everything else. Like, if I thought that Joe Sasto was the most creative, like, in other words, there are now only, what, there's six chefs left? Five, right? Five plus whoever's going to come out of the last yeah. chance, right? We're at five now. Um, I mean, so part of me is, I have a, it's a hard one for me, because on one hand, okay, Joe Sasto was the most creative chef until, like, six dishes ago. Um so why wouldn't he be now? Bruce, ironically, I had the chance to get double points or whatever, and I kind of I, I punted it with you, and, and it turned out that like my initial instincts way back when when we were reading things were correct. So Bruce is still very much, but I also don't think Bruce is a born top chef candidate. Like he might be the best chef in the show, but you know by his own admission, like hey, the time, you know, budgeting of time or or, or, or contingency is not his thing, right? Um, he is a comfort chef, and he does rely. So I don't know, like whoever's left of the five, maybe I don't know. And then with Carrie, does the safety as the hey playing within yourself and doing toast and kale salads is that? But that's the kind of thing that can help you avoid elimination and, and win a quick buyer. Is it the kind of thing that can help you produce like the best four course meal that you're going to need as you get closer and closer to the finale? I mean, as we know, and I mean, Lynn, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like, am I correct that my imagination that as we get to the final five or four, there are many more eliminations that are, are Padma kind of mournfully saying, please bag your knives and go. I hate to do this because it was a really good dish, but we're down to the very best in our nit- nitpicking over small grains of salt. And like, I'm, am I right that I think that many of the later eliminations are not sins of, of, of commission, but kind of sins of omission or just you just happen to have the worst of five great dishes? Yeah, I think that is pretty common where, um, you know, it comes down to like a grain of salt then because everything's good. By the way, how much was this week of please pack your knife and go? <laughs> like like the extremes of like, oh, yeah. know, like, you know, like, please pack your knives and get out of here, you talentless. They just you know, said the two fan favorites, first. I feel like. Right. Mm-hmm. But she had two please pack your knives and goes. I hate to do this this week. Um, last question before you let you go, Lynn, what is your favorite season of Top Chef? Oh man. So I think probably Las Vegas. Um, I think remind me the number on that. Cause I oh, was- uh, six. Ah, okay. so the Voltage brothers and Kevin and yeah. Jen Carroll, By way, um, really talented group. Yeah. I thought that group. So the four of them, the top four just dominated that season. Um, and I thought that was really cool, just really high talent level. And that was the first season where they really started doing kind of like um, these high stake quick fires, like giving prizes out for um, different challenges. So I thought that that was kind of where they're like, we're going to just start to be a little bit crazy now, you know. 
Um, so I love Vegas. I'd say runners up are Texas. It's really fun. I loved Beverly. So I was like on team Beverly. Um, <laughs> and then probably Boston. I thought May was just super cool. I like May. May is one of my favorite chefs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kevin's just sucking up to her so that he can go to a restaurant. <laughs> so that's, that's all I'm, I'm really all about here is I just want chefs to treat me really nicely. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, you're right about, you know, it's funny you say that about Vegas now that you mentioned it. I think it was the first season the show knew what it was, which is a classic. You mm-hmm. know, I think early on, like the reality show economy was just like a lot of these shows were produced on a budget. I mean, and it took a show a while to kind of garner the sort of sponsorship commitments and, and to really be able to kind of roll out some money and really, uh, you know, you kind of, kind of shoot the moon. And you're right. I think that was kind of the moment when, like, everybody who was into food in America realized this was a great show and sort of, you know, kind of took to it. And it became, a, like, you knew Top Chef was going to kind of be here to stay. And yeah. kind of it established itself. And to your point, they kind of started pulling out some stops and really doing stuff. Um. Lynn, thank you so much. Um, everybody, topchefstats.com. It is the greatest thing. <laughs> it's so much bread. fun. Pun thank food you. intended. Um, so uh, thank you so much. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, Kevin, let's sign off. Uh, this is Pack Your Knives. Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. They're comfy, stylish, and absorbent, perfect for period protection from your lightest to your heaviest days. They look, feel, and machine wash just like regular underwear, but feature incognito protection that has you covered. You can shop sizes from extra small to 4XL. Choose from all kinds of colors, prints, and different styles, from bikinis to boy shorts, thongs to high-rise. You've got to try NYX. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's Nix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's K-N-I-X dot com.